Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Of course, I prefer to think of it Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you DBS advice, and you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, what? Is the elephant in the room. All right, Hank. Three. I'm, I'm sure we're going to have the same elephant in the room this week. Three, two, one. Michael Cohen. The Clark Cohen. Fork River. What? The Clark, the Clark Fork, Fork River. Hank, Michael Cohen is the elephant in the room. John, I don't know if you know, but for some people, the Clark Fork River is actually in their rooms. Oh, really? Yeah, we're having like some serious flooding here in Missoula right now. It's uh, the worst flood in like 40 or 50 years. And you go down to where the river is and it's getting to the point where the river is like within a couple feet of the bridge. So usually there's the bridge and then there's a lot of air right. and then there's the river. Right. And right now it's the bridge and then a very small amount of air and then the river. And this makes me nervous because it is not the part of the flood that is the peak. And wh- wh- I feel like when the when the water gets to the wh- like where the bridge is, then the bridge goes away, right? And I need those bridges to get to work. Uh, I mean, the bridge goes away for a while. Sometimes it goes away forever, but usually it just goes away while the water is high. I am very concerned about the people whose homes are being flooded, though, and that's that's unfortunate to hear. As, as someone who lives near a river, I spent a lot of time looking at the amazing work done by people working for the U.S. government, making sure that I know what the water level is in the yeah. river near my house. That's pretty it's cool. A, it's a wonderful service, and I am very grateful for it. And it's one of those things that I don't think that a private company would do as effectively as the government does it. So, hey, let's just take this opportunity to say, one, we're very concerned about everybody who is affected by the flooding of the Clark Fork River. And two, thank you to all the hardworking people in government who are doing great work and who maybe often feel like their work goes unnoticed or unloved. Yes, absolutely. And, and and also that's good science that allows us to better predict what might happen in the future. And 
Uh, and I actually know some people who work on that kind of thing here in Montana. And yeah, it's a little bit scary to see the river where it is. And, and also, uh, but it is nice that we knew, we know what's going to happen. We know what's on the way and people have already been evacuated and the people who can protect their homes have already protected it. Um, so I, I'm glad that we have the science that allows us to know when these things are going to happen. Whereas we do not have the science that allows us to know what on earth is going on in Washington, D.C. Well, Michael Cohen doesn't live in Washington, D.C. He lives in New York. So he sort of opened up a new, um, almost like a new arc, I guess, in the D.C. <laughs> character universe where it's like, you know, it's like the episode of the Brady Bunch where they all go on vacation to Hawaii. Um, mm -hmm. It's a really wonderful narrative turn but i am finding it a little difficult to follow along with the thing that i guess surprised me the most was the sudden and unexpected appearance of at&t donating two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> to michael cohen's uh i mean consulting company to Donating? learn like they were just like hey we thought you should have this money we found it well it was for insights on the administration well that doesn't seem legal it is it is it is probably legal but don't worry a lot of the other stuff probably isn't i mean <laughs> the whoever is writing the script for the weird timeline in which we find ourselves i just want to say that this it's phenomenal terrifying work like i i am really i I feel like this is all so real. So you guys, wherever you are, whoever's <laughs> running this simulation, you guys are doing an amazing job because I feel like this is happening right now. It's very, it's compelling. And I, and I, I had a, a hard time this morning when I was trying to get to the bottom of, you told me that there was some, Michael, and I Googled it and there was just too many things. There was money from Novartis. There's money that's being paid out to from somewhere to someone else but maybe not to the person that we thought it was and and then there's money to AT&T or from AT&T and who who knows it it does read a little bit like a novel but like a novel that I don't want to read and so I feel like I've stopped engaging with it but it turns out that it's also reality well, we don't know that for sure. We could be living in a simulation, which brings me to our first question from Anonymous. <laughs> Dear John and Hank, how do you break up with someone without absolutely crushing them? Thanks, mm. Anon. So so is your suggestion here then to let them know and, and make sure that they are aware beforehand that reality doesn't actually exist? Correct. So the first thing that you say is, hey, um, so there are untold trillions of universes and in many of those universes we are still a couple but not we in this one. worked out great. In so many universes it was perfect and we died on exactly the same day at the same time and never had to experience a moment separate from each other. But in this universe eh. In this universe, our relationship has come to an end. But don't worry, many other yous and other me's are having a great time. But this well, you and this me, it's over, kiddo. Anonymous, I'm glad that you came to the preeminent or authority on dumping people, two guys who have only ever been dumped. Yeah, I don't think either Hank or I has ever ended a relationship. So here's Hank's advice. Um... Yeah, I think that you're going to have to recognize that this is going to hurt the other person. And we don't want to hurt other people, 
but sometimes that is a thing that you will do in your life because you have to. And um, and so come to terms with that and then do it in the way that seems most likely to be least hurtful. But you're never going to know. Uh, but, but I will say, don't drag it out. Be very specific and don't let any bargaining take place once you've made this call. And I find that this is an important thing to learn in all kinds of uh, situations. But uh, once, once that decision has been made, sometimes it can be easy to roll it back a little bit because you want it to hurt a little less. But in the long term, it will hurt the least if it can just end and be ended. And that's from the perspective of someone who has been dumped but not dumped people. That is how I would prefer to have it happen to me. Hank, I think that's good advice. Sometimes in life, you just have to take off the Band-Aid and it hurts. And it's worse when you have to take off other people's (laughs) Band-Aids, as I often do with my children. And they're like, Dad, why are you hurting me? And I'm like, because we can't keep this Band-Aid on for the next 16 weeks, which is your plan. That's good. Sometimes you have to take off other people's Band-Aids, Anonymous. Do it, do there you it go. Quick That's our advice. It, that, do it done. That and, as usual, communicate exclamation point, which really almost everything we ever say boils down to that. This next question comes from Dennis, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I was thinking about my childhood the other day, and I was thinking about the first big cultural events I actually experienced. Like when you're three years old and some big event, the World Cup, for instance, is happening, you don't feel invested in it. I mean... If you're American, even 30-year-olds don't feel invested in it. (laughs) But eventually you start to connect to events like the Berlin Wall collapsing or the election of the first African-American president. So when do people become culturally aware? And what were your first cultural memories? Using my dendrites, Dennis. I really like the idea that the the Berlin Wall collapsed. Um, The Berlin Wall collapsing sounds like uh, like it was some kind of weird disaster in which lots of people Uh, depended on this wall. Yeah, it (laughs) was a result of an earthquake. Unfortunately, the Berlin Wall has collapsed. And as such, Germany will now be reunited. (laughs) Great work, earthquake. (laughs) (laughs) If only. Um, That would also have been hilarious if, like, the presidents of... East Germany and West Germany were like, well, I mean, we wanted to stay separate nations, but the wall collapsed. So there was, what yeah, are you going to do? Mean, was, we don't have money to put up a new wall. <laughs> Those things are expensive. I mean, sure, you could afford it in the 60s. Anybody could put up a wall back then. But these days, with the cost of concrete, let's just become one country. Um, and, oh, God, it's so amazing to me that that worked. And that also that Germany's doing so well that they were like, let's divide a line down the middle of us for for decades. And then one day, you know, we're going to put it back together. And then and then in 30 years, we're going to be the only uh, thing going in Europe. Well, I wouldn't say that. Rest of Europe. I wouldn't say that. I mean, if if nothing else, Slovenia is doing great. Uh, I, I. it is, it is amazing to me, and it's a reminder that history is not final, and what feels intractable often mm-hmm. in the end yeah. isn't. It's just right. that it's hard to see your way through to the end. That that was the first, that was one of the first things I remember. I also remember the Tiananmen Square protests very vividly. Mm. I watched a lot of that on television, and I remember feeling really hopeful about it, and then when the military came in and a lot of people were killed at the end of those Tiananmen Square protests. It was really heartbreaking for me. And in fact, one of the first like grown up books that I read when I was 11 or 12 years old was written by 
a Chinese dissident about that experience of being one of the hunger strikers in Tiananmen Square. So that was the first thing I remember. What about you, Hank? Um, what, so as far as like, um, as far as like international relations goes, like that kind of awareness, I remember when Czechoslovakia became two different countries, the Czech Republic and Slovenia, and that, or the Czech Republic and Slo- the Czech Republic and Slovakia, and that was like, oh, countries can change, and that was. That was a little bit of a thing, and I was in I was in school enough that we talked about it that in school. That was yeah, and then but the election of George Bush, like that was sort of the first election I was aware of and awake for. Um, but I think also like it isn't just these international relations things, like the world, like things like the World Cup. For me, I think one of the first things that I felt like I was connected to in culture was like Michael Jackson's Thriller, where oh, I felt yeah. like. Uh, like this is a thing that is happening in my world and it is happening to me and also everyone else. Right. For me, it was Tiffany's album with the single, <laughs> I think we're alone now, which is, yeah, has held no, up that's... slightly less well than thriller, but yeah. I'm still not totally embarrassed of, I, I recently re I recently re-listened to that song and you know, it's not bad. No, no, I love it. It's great. I, I think we're alone now. There doesn't seem to be anyone around. I mean that's yeah. Well, it's a, it's a cover. It wasn't even originally Tiffany's song. I, I know, but Tiffany made it her own. Hank, she right. completely reinvented that song, and it wasn't until Tiffany was singing it that I think we all understood what it meant to be alone. Now, did you know, John? I, I can't that wait. Thri- I can't. That Thriller came out in 1982, so it obviously wasn't that for me because I was two. <laughs> Ah uh, yes, Jeez, I, I remember, feel like I was around for Thriller coming out. But I, I, I remember so not. vividly, two-year-old Hank, just, just moonwalking across the carpet. The first guy in line at midnight <laughs> to buy Thriller from Tower Records. Well, it was still a big deal when I was paying attention. Yes, we had the vinyl, and I thought it was a good. Good vinyl to have. We did have the vinyl. It was not the first vinyl album we purchased. That was, I think, We're Alone Now. (laughs) But we did have the vinyl, which was pretty cool. And Michael Jackson was indeed still famous throughout your childhood, Hank. So I think it's a legitimate... to be famous. I think it's a legitimate memory. Um, Well, I I definitely remember um, uh, Weird Al Yankovic's... uh, Fat. Yes. Weird, Weird Let's Al not Yankovic. talk about that, though. Yeah, probably. Probably right. at this point, that was a bad call, Weird yeah. Al, but it worked in the moment. But I definitely remember bad coming out and that being a, a deal. Um, I, again, I, I do not that. think that you remember I was, bad coming out. It was seven. Out. I remember bad coming okay. out. I you remember know what the music I, oh, video. You know what I remember? The movie what? Gremlins. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And how yeah. passionate, like, we thought the movie Gremlins and Empire Oof. Strikes Back were about as good as each other, both being completely perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the same with Goonies. Like, oh. you know, that was 85. Goonies so is still a great movie. It is a great movie. Do Absolutely. you remember, Hank, the two movies that we owned on VHS when we were children? Is it, I, I think, The NeverEnding Story and Grease 2? Grease 2 is correct. We got the never-ending story a little later. We had Ghostbusters and Grease 2 for the longest okay. time. Those were our only yeah, two VHS tapes. Yeah, we watched a lot of Ghostbusters, for I don't sure. know about you, Hank, but I was fully 35 years old when I realized that Grease 2 was not the original Grease. 
Yeah. No, well, yeah. Like, I thought that I thought that Grease Two was a sequel to the musical. I Correct. did not realize that there was a movie. Uh, correct. That's exactly what I thought. I, I thought that Grease 2 was the canonical Hollywood story of Grease. <laughs> yeah. And that and makes perfect sense to me. I would be in conversations with me. people occasionally. You know, Grease doesn't come up that often. But I'd be in conversations with people and they would talk about the movie Grease. And I would just be sitting there thinking, have these people even seen the canonical Hollywood version of Grease in which yeah. an it's, English it's like person talking about rides a motorcycle movies. and etc. He does a big jump. Oh, he does a big jump. jump. I mean, and, and I can picture every shot in that jump sequence in order oh, yeah. in my mind right now. We must have seen that movie 500 times. I recently rewatched it. And you know, John, yeah. it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Really? It doesn't make much sense. And there is a clear distinction between the two different uh, songwriters. So, the, like, there are two different people who wrote the music for that movie. And it was clear that one of them did the, some songs. And then they were like, we need somebody else real quick to do some that aren't this bad. And, uh, and there's a very clear distinction between those two people. Um, and also, it, it does not make a lot of sense in terms of narrative arc. Right. But it's really good. <laughs> It's funny you should say that because it's one of the worst rated movies on the entire database for IMDb. Oh, no. It's rated a 4.2 out of 10, which oh, is very no. low. Yeah, it is. That said, 13.5% of people gave it either a 9 or a 10. So you're not <laughs> alone exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're just in a huge this minority. This is what I always say. This is what I always say to people who are like, DC can't make movies. I'm like, look, somebody likes Batman vs. Superman. That's who they're making the movie for. Just because they're not making the movie for you doesn't mean they're not making a good movie. And also, anything with Michelle Pfeiffer is A-OK -okay in my book. I don't disagree with you, but just for context, Batman vs. Superman has a much higher IMDb rating. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, everybody go watch Grease 2 and tell us what you think. It's pretty amazing that they remade Grease and there's like one person from the first Grease movie that's in this second movie because everybody was like, no, no, that's a terrible idea and I hate the script so much. I love it. John, is it possible that we've spent too much time talking about Grease 2 or... I mean is that, is that what our podcast is now? That's a technical impossibility, Hank. Uh, in fact, I'm so excited to announce our new spinoff podcast, Dear Hank and John, the Grease 2 edition, in which we do nothing but discuss Grease 2. We're going to watch Grease 2 every week for a year and make 52 podcasts oh, about gosh. it. Oh, gosh. Wow, that would be a lot. Dear Hank and John and Michael Carrington, this next question comes from Adrian, who asks, Dear Hank and John, and only Hank and John, so when a road splits, that's called a fork in the road, would a cul-de-sac be a spoon in the road? Not Rocky's wife, Adrian! Uh, yes, that's done. We've done it. Good job. You've made that happen. Yes. Uh, it's a, I live at the end of the spoon. And then people will in be like, what? Yes. And you'd be like, I live in the, uh, you know, the soupy part of the spoon, the part of the spoon that holds food. Well, usually there's nobody who lives in that part of the cul-de-sac. Yeah, people live on the it's end of the cul-de-sac. But not in the soupy part that holds the soup. Oh, you're right. People don't live in the road, usually. Correct. Yeah. Great. great uh, point. That's, that's, that's the hope, anyway. 
Really, oh. really good point. I'm glad that we made that happen along with our new Grease 2 spinoff podcast. This next question comes from Jack, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I had the most amazing Indian food of my life last week after finally stepping out of my comfort zone to try something new. Mm, Today, I in that same Indian spirit, food. I tried another new place, and it was terrible. I don't make a lot of money, so I basically just paid 10 bucks for a bad lunch experience. How often do y'all try new food places? How often should I? Once a month? Once a year? Never? And I should just stay home and eat ramen? Apostles and falafels? Jack. <laughs> I don't see don't what apostles have to do with it. No, but may- maybe that's the restaurant that he went to that was bad. Maybe. Um, I. It's called Apostles and Falafels. Don't go there, you guys. Yeah, it's real dry. No. The falafel's very dry. I... How often do you go out and you have a meal where you're like, that was bad? Uh, two or three times a year. I'm going to go with never. Never, ever do oh. I get food that I am like, that wasn't good. I just can't bring myself to not enjoy every food. Oh, I definitely can. I, about four months ago, I had a meal and then 45 minutes later began vomiting. Well, yeah, no, but did you like the food when you were eating it? I mean, Hank, I have to tell you, I don't know if you've ever vomited, but it really ruins your memory of whatever happened before you vomited. <laughs> it really becomes like the central memory of that eating experience is yeah. like 35 <laughs> seconds after I swallowed the last bite. I was like, I feel a little weird. And then 45 minutes later, I, you know, began vomiting. So right. did I enjoy yeah. the meal? I'm going to I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> what if it wasn't the meal that did it? This is what I always think about food poisoning because it can it can happen like anywhere from like from like immediately to 7 days after you eat the thing. And I feel so bad for all the times when I've eaten food and then immediately started feeling nauseous and then got food poisoning that I'm blaming that restaurant. I don't know who actually did it. Maybe I just got some like baby poop on my hand and that's what it was. Like I don't know what did it. I don't know if it was the Taco Bell or if it was the or if it was just living in the world, being surrounded by other people who are gross. Yeah, okay, but to return to the question, I think <laughs> that... Sure, I guess. You should eat out at a new, exciting place, I would say, twice a year. Yeah, I I'm mean, not a risk taker. I, I, I find restaurants that I like, and I mm-hmm. patronize them relentlessly. Yeah, no, I mean, the people who work at the places I go to are like, Hey, Hank, <laughs> um... I will say that um, I mostly go to new restaurants on recommendation. So a friend of mine will be like, have you been to that new Japanese place in town? It's amazing. And then I'll either uh, go and tell them that it was wonderful or I'll go and I won't tell them how much I found it lackluster. There you go. But John, the thing is, I like like a six piece chicken McNugget almost as much as I like very fancy sushi. Did I, I'm sorry, can we roll back the tape there real quick and see if you just said shushi? Did I say shushi? I think you said something close to shushi. I'm just going to have Nick play it twice right now. Very fancy sushi. Very fancy sushi. It doesn't sound totally correct to me. Um, <laughs> but it is how I'm going to say shushi from now on. This next question comes from Luke, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my girlfriend and I have a touring cabaret show in Australia that is starting what? to slowly grow in popularity. Stop! 
I mean, Wait. not since... <laughs> links or it didn't happen. Not since the competitive Pokemon player wrote in have I been <laughs> so taken with the first part of a question. Oh, man. Why am I not logged into the Dear Hank and John? Part of that process is creating merchandise to sell at our touring cabaret show gigs. A graphic designer friend of ours has created a shirt that we both really like, but it has our faces featured quite prominently on it, and this makes me really uncomfortable. How do you get used to your face being on other people's torsos? Oh, a Star Wars reference. How original. Luke. <laughs> That's a great name-specific <laughs> sign-off. I-, I can't imagine it gets old being a Luke, Luke. Uh, I have my face on a lot of merch, and I don't mind when other people are wearing that merch but when i'm wearing Mm. as i sometimes do because i find pizza john shirts to be very comfortable and the pizza john hoodie is incredibly comfortable as i some and available now at dftba.com i do feel super uncomfortable wearing my own merch because occasionally people will be like i'm sorry is that your own damn face Yeah. On your T-shirt, I mean, you absolute doofazoid. Um, I so for Luke, I gotta say to you that you stand on a stage and you do a touring cabaret show in Australia. You cannot be a super modest person. You're just gonna have to own this. It's good merch, and it's got your face on, and you're part of the thing that you're doing. And it's called I Dated Batman, right, but- and you can find it at IDatedBatman.com. Over Australia, there's upcoming shows in places. But you got to follow them on Facebook because that's what it says. Follow us on Facebook for news on wow. our next shows. That's great. I dated Batman. That's great. That's, I, that's so cool. Congratulations to, to Luke and Luke's partner. But real quick, Hank, just to confirm, that doesn't mean that you should feel comfortable wearing your own merch on your own body. Um, I don't. I don't know. It seems like he's a confident guy. He does a show. He does a show where people look at him, and that's scary. That's got to be scarier than wearing your own face. And it's not just your face. It's not like Pizza John. It's just one of the people on your shirt is your face. And also, do you have to ever wear your own merch? Because in general, when I'm at like a YouTube event and there's a YouTuber wearing their own merch, I'm like, hey, you could have picked somebody else you like. There's other YouTubers that have merch. Right. That's, I guess, what I'm talking about. When you're a band, you don't wear your own t-shirt like the eagles don't get on stage wearing an eagles t-shirt i don't know why i picked the eagles but i'm rolling with it like you don't get on stage when you're 72 year old don henley and play hotel california while wearing an Eagles shirt i mean a real quick hank not for the podcast just for fun Let's play a game where back and forth we name Eagles songs until one of us loses. Okay. Ready? Hotel California. Uh, I think you may have won. Desperado, <laughs> is Desperado the Eagles? Was that the Eagles? I think Desperado was the Eagles, in which case you've won. Because <laughs> <laughs> we definitely listened to Desperado a lot as children, and I don't I know, know why. Oh, my God. And that that song makes absolutely no sense. Why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences. Riding. Stop. What is? Yeah, I mean, what is riding fences. Well, he has been? not come. He's not. He doesn't have his senses, John. He's out of his mind. He's riding a fence, potentially a barbed wire fence. It's dangerous, Desperado. Okay, riding fences does have a meaning. 
Okay, what is riding fences? And also, d did the Eagles sing Desperado? Th that I can't answer. Um, <laughs> cowboys go out riding fences to ensure that livestock don't stray. Fences, oh. in that sense, always need mending, and it's part of the cowboy life that gets you on horseback and sort of out right. cowboying, even if you're not handling cattle. Okay. So... It just means like he's, he's just been out yeah, observing being a fence. cowboy for so long mm. now. That said, the song is bad. Um, and it well, and I know look, Don Henley's a big fan of the pod, and I don't want to hurt his feelings, but I've listened to that song. I mean, a lot. like way more than I've seen Grease too. <laughs> Every time we went to B's Diner, for some reason, oh. and I and it's it's good it's just. Full of cigarette smoke and that guy that didn't have a mouth, and yep. uh, and we get grilled cheese sandwiches and Dad will put Desperado and uh, and Love is a Rose on the jukebox like like this is my like Dad living his best life and I'm not gonna take that away from him. First off, Love is a Rose is a great song, <laughs> so I'm a little hurt that you're throwing just, it I'm in not, there. I'm just saying those are the two songs he always picked. Yeah, I I mean, it's funny you should say that because I had not thought of Bee's Barbecue since I was like nine or ten years old. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Is Bee's Barbecue around anymore? It must not be. That place. Oh my god! Great question, ago. Hank. Okay, first off, Bee's Barbecue Orlando, Florida. No, nope. this restaurant is closed. This restaurant <laughs> is not open anymore. There's lots of places that look very good in Orlando now. It's gotten so fancy. I know. Orlando is a completely different city from when we lived there, but that doesn't mean that I can't have a really strong opinion about it anyway. Um, did we answer the question? What, how did yeah, we start talking about Beast Barbecue and Desperado and the Eagles? That's how it happened. <laughs> this next question comes from Meredith, who asks, Dear Hank and John, at my house, I have a 30-pack of pop chips with three flavors, sour cream and onion, sea salt, and barbecue. And you got three flavors in the 30-pack, you would assume that there'd be 10 of each. But you would be mistaken because there's 12 sea salt, 12 barbecue, and only 6 sour cream and onion. It's deliberate since that's how it's labeled on the box. Are they assuming sour cream and onion is the lesser flavor? What if I like sour cream and onion chips from Meredith? Well, if, what if you do? Because, of course, it is not the lesser flavor. It is the quintessential flavor. I mean, I've never felt less close to you than I do in this moment. Sour cream and onion. So there's... I feel like there's there's non-flavored chips, and if there was one flavor that's not non-flavored chips, it's sour cream and onion. You are objectively incorrect. There is no way that America's second favorite chip flavor behind just salted thank you, there is no way sour cream and onion is second. I'm Googling most popular American <laughs> potato chip <laughs> flavors god we google way too much in this podcast hank i actually have an answer according to statista.com the most popular flavor chip by far is plain and the second most popular is wait for it barbecue oh, i think that pop chip did this oh no did pop chip because pop chip is reflecting a larger or maybe consumer taste or maybe that box that box that oh. prefers Barbecue to sour cream and onion is the reason yes. why barbecue took over that market share. Sure. Great point. Great counterpoint, Hank. Which came first, the chicken or the egg the chicken definitely came from? <laughs> okay. Well, in any case, <laughs> I think there was a time when sour cream and onion would have been first. 
Oh, really? What's, what's I don't. third, John? I, is it sour cream and onion? Don't leave me hanging. Oh, third is sour cream and onion. Yeah. Fourth, salt and vinegar. Yeah. Fifth, cheese? Question mark? Huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like, think you, like cheddar and sour cream ch- and ruffles. Those things are dope. I love them. I want to put it in my mouth right now. Jalapeno. Oh, and wow. then in eighth place, no salt slash low salt. Uh, that's not a flavor, and I am offended. <laughs> <laughs> but which, which, right, which, which, remi- which reminds me, though, John, that this podcast yeah. is brought to you by No Salt Slash Low Salt Potato Chips. <laughs> <laughs> of course, this podcast is also brought to you by the collapse of the Berlin Wall, the collapse of the Berlin Wall, facilitating one Germany since 1989. And this podcast is also brought to you by Bee's Barbecue. It smells like... Like really old fry oil and cigarettes, and the jukebox has all your favorite Eagles hits. Bees Barbecue doesn't exist anymore. I mean, Hank, the way that you described Bees Barbecue just now, like, brought it into my mind <laughs> in the most visceral way. I can't even tell you how much I loved Bees Barbecue or how much I miss it, considering that I literally have not thought about it in 25 years. And lastly, today's <laughs> podcast is brought to you by our actual sponsor for the week. Skillshare. Skillshare is a place where you can go and learn about how to do all kinds of things. It's an online learning community with over 20,000 classes in things like design, business, technology, tons and tons and tons of stuff. I use Skillshare because, John, I don't know if you know this, but I do a lot of graphic design. But I do a lot of graphic design in programs that I learned how to use in 2004, which is a huge right. problem for all of my graphic design coworkers who use programs that happened now. And so I have had to relearn how to use Photoshop and Illustrator because those programs have changed a lot over the last decades. And, uh, and Skillshare has been really, really valuable for me so that I can work with designers who are in their 20s and not approaching middle age approaching eh? (laughs) i (laughs) i i love skillshare because it helps me learn about video editing which i know that i've been doing for 10 years but or 12 years but you'd be surprised how terrible i am at it and i have learned so much about video editing through skillshare but there are tons and tons of classes over 20,000 classes it really is wonderful it also makes a great gift Mm -hmm. Uh, I got both my dad and my father-in-law Skillshare memberships over uh, over the holidays and they have loved it right now you can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare with a special offer just for dear Hank and John listeners you can get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents that's two months for 99 cents you can try it out find out that you like it as much as we do, you can go to Skillshare.com slash Dear John right now. Skillshare.com slash Dear Hank. That also works, but Skillshare.com slash Dear John is better. I track these things, so (laughs) use mine. Again, uh, 20,000 classes, 99 cents, two months. It's a great deal. Uh, please check out Skillshare.com slash Dear John or Dear Hank. Yeah, it's just uh, I I always think that investing in yourself is is the best investment. And um, and I you know, I, there's a lot that you can learn from the Internet, but it is uh, great to have these things that are a little more structured and also to be learning with other people. We also have a Project for Awesome message from a slice of nerd fighteria to the pineapples of solidarity, <laughs> which is a. Uh, one nerd fighter within a nerd fighter group making a message 
for other nerd fighters in that nerd fighter group. Thank you for donating the project for awesome. And here is the message. NerdCon Nerdfighteria brought us together and this group of nerd fighters has become a life-changing community. We've spent hundreds of hours in Google Hangouts across seven different time zones and we are now best friends, travel companions, couples, and an ongoing amazing network of love and support. Thank you listeners slash Green Brothers for fostering Nerdfighteria and thank you Pineapples for never forgetting to be awesome. And now excuse me, I must dance. Which I assume is an inside joke, and it just makes me so happy to read. Yeah. It makes me so, so happy. Thank you for donating, and thank you for using the work that Hank and I make as an excuse to come together and be awesome together. We got one or two more questions, John, depending on how we handle these before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. It's from Paige who asks, Dear Hank and John, I live in an apartment and just now got a new neighbor. What is the best way to greet a new neighbor? Do I knock on their door and give them a baked good? Do I wait until we run into each other on the stairs and say hello? Do I just ignore them forever? Not great at making friends, Paige. Do not ignore them. You must intervene fairly quickly, Paige, because otherwise it's going to get awkward and uncomfortable. Mm. 100% baked good, knock on the door, I made you this pie, let me know if you ever need sugar, I'm happy to meet you, my name is Paige, and then close the door. This is actually kind of shocking to me that this is your suggestion not because i think it's a bad suggestion but because it seems like something you would never do well so it used to be that because i don't like talking to strangers and it makes me anxious and everything that i wouldn't welcome new neighbors when they move near me but what i realized is that in the long run it makes it more awkward Mm -hmm. and uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because then you're in this like in-between space of not really knowing each other but running into each other all the time you're in that space forever yeah it's better to just get past that space Mm -hmm. via a baked good Mm -hmm. we're in the person's name and then you're at least able to say like hello Don Henley. I assume it was Don Henley who moved in. I'm not positive, but you could just be like, hey, Don Henley, how's Desperado playing every night going? (laughs) You've been out riding that fence for a long time, Don. Here's a cupcake. You know that line in Hotel California where it's like, you know, you can get anything you want, but you can never leave. What's it like having to live that experience? (laughs) <laughs> like you write that you write that song but then that also yeah. becomes your story yeah wow i never thought of, that's 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 harsh that's deep john what is why am I, I i'm being really unfair to the eagles and also i don't think don henley is in the eagles i think he is <laughs> is i think he is he is you did he it is. you did I it right. way better you did it right john okay, is it god. possible though that the baked good is like a like from a bygone era and there's a, some new version of the baked good that could be an introduction. Like, is it like, hey, I'm Hank. Here's my gamer name. You, We could play Mario Kart sometime. Just look me up. I'm on League of Legends all the time. I love the League. Yeah, I mean, definitely possible. Um, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I, I think just a baked good does the trick. Um, but I too need to squeeze my phrase of the weekend somewhere. So I know, I know what it's like. Let's move on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. 
This week, the news from AFC Wimbledon. Hank, I don't know if you know this, but AFC Wimbledon stayed up in League One. Oh, my God. The relief. We finally had an enjoyable game of football against Barry on the last day of the season. The sun was shining. Nobody cared if we won, and we didn't. We tied 2-2. We had a 2-0 lead, but we gave it up. And boy, that would have been heartbreaking if we had needed points, but we didn't. So it all worked out. The next day came the news uh, that we'd all been dreading and knowing would come eventually, which is that a lot of players who have been part of AFC Wimbledon for a long time are no longer part Mm. of the club. Uh, Right at the end of the season is when players get released or whatever, and four really long-serving Wimbledon players uh, are, are leaving which is difficult, including Barry Fuller, the captain of Wimbledon, who I made an entire video about Mm -hmm. him picking up the ball during that Walsall game. And I really think is a huge part of the reason that Wimbledon are in League One and a huge part of the reason why they stayed in League One. Uh, He's been the captain of the club for a while now, and uh, but but he's moving on. I don't know if he'll be retiring or if he'll be moving to another club. Also, Paul Robinson, who is the rare player who is a legend for two clubs. He's made, I think, over 200 appearances for Wimbledon, will absolutely be remembered as, as a legend for this part of the club's history. But before that was the captain of Millwall and made like 400 appearances for them. And Callum Kennedy and and George Frankham, both of whom have played for Wimbledon for a long time. Uh, Callum Kennedy, I think, three different stints for the club and just a great, great person and from all my interactions with him and just really sad to see them go. Also, uh, a lot of other people are probably leaving, although it's not certain yet. George Long, his loan time is over. He's the goalkeeper. Mm. He's had an amazing Mm -hmm. season. We would be very, very lucky to hold on to him. It doesn't look like we're going to. And then the big, huge question mark is Lyle Taylor. Mm -hmm. Lyle Taylor is responsible for a solid plurality of AFC Wimbledon's (laughs) goals. Uh, he's been a just a tremendous force for the team for the last uh, three or four seasons. And it's really hard to imagine what Wimbledon are going to do without him. But he's also, you know, 28 years old, and he's probably in a position where he can go and play for a team in England's second tier. And it's very hard to say to, to, say to a player, you know, stay and, and don't progress in your career. So I don't know how that's going to work out, but it would be great to find a way to hold on to to Lyle Taylor. If we don't, we certainly wish him well and uh, feel lucky that uh, we had the time with him that we've had. Uh, Yes, well, it sounds like that's rough. I don't know if that means that a bunch of money gets freed up to buy better, cooler, more hip and trendy players, but but it sounds like it sounds rough. And I I hope that everything works out and that you... uh, you know that that new money comes in from whatever and that you're able to i don't know how it works john <clears throat> hank what's the news from mars this week thanks um so as planned and successfully the mars insight lander launched this last week or i guess last week when this comes out and yeah um it launched on may 5th which is my birthday so great birthday present i actually had an opportunity to go out and watch the launch that I chose to not take because it was my birthday and I wanted to spend <laughs> it with my family. 
Um, yeah. But uh, it's kind of good that I didn't go out because it was extremely foggy. So uh, fog does not interfere inter- interfere with rocket launches. So they went ahead and did it anyway. But you couldn't see a thing. It was just a big glowy mass, which makes me think some about like how SpaceX is so like all sexy about its launches and they need everything to look really good. And NASA's just like, yeah, you can't see it, but we're gonna get this thing off. We got to get it on its right. way, uh, and, and how I sometimes am glad that the government is in charge of certain things, um, not being concerned about how damp the air is when the when the rocket is launching. Though I don't know for sure that SpaceX would be. It just seems like they're a little bit more concerned with image, what with the launching of cars into space and such. So it's uh, headed off on its way to Mars. Everything went perfectly, except for the part that nobody could see it. And it's going to be on Mars in six and a half months. We'll land. It will drive. It will place a seismometer on the surface of Mars, and it will drive a probe down into the the surface of Mars. It'll like hammer it down into the ground so that it can uh, that probe can feel a little bit of what like the interior of, of Mars feels like in terms of the amount of heat and stuff. So it's on the way, and it'll be there. And so far, so good, John. Well, that is really, really exciting. I. I can't imagine i guess it's similar in a way to a football season to have this six and a half month period (laughs) where you're waiting for but good luck (laughs) waiting for something to go wrong because really if there's any news in the next six and a half months it's definitely bad um and then uh, that is sort of how i feel about (laughs) afc wimbledon season though i'm just always like god let's just get to the end of the season and stay up until we can get into the new stadium do it do it do it i don't know yeah yeah we've got got one more year uh and and by by the time afc wimbledon secure league status next year there will be a new lander on Mars. Yeah, and, yeah, and hopefully everything will be successful, and AFC Wimbledon will be in the top okay. tier of English football, and humans will be on Mars by 2028. I actually would 100% take that. <laughs> yeah, I bet you would. <laughs> I, think, I think that there's actually, if there's anything that's less likely to happen than humans being on Mars in 2028... Uh, you're not wrong. Okay, we got a correction from Nate who says, Good afternoon, Green Brothers. I was listening to a recent episode of the podcast where John talks about going to the Baltimore Museum of Art for a year. I worked as a security guard at that museum, and your comment about openly weeping in front of the art spurred a memory that this happened pretty regularly while I was working. At least a few times a month, I would see people so moved by a piece that it brought them to tears. I just wanted to comment and let you know that, and let everyone know that this is okay, and you take as much time as you need to get through whatever it is you need just don't touch the art please exterminate i guess that wasn't a correction it was just a nice thought from nate all right hank what did we learn today john we learned that there is a fork in some roads and a spoon in some others we also learned that there are lots and lots of universes in which relationships are still going on but then there is this universe (laughs) in which you've been dumped and attacked by an owl oh i didn't didn't hear about that part. Uh, we also learned <laughs> that Grease 2 is the best bad movie you'll ever find yourself watching. And we learned that Hank and John have a lot of feelings about a barbecue restaurant in Orlando <laughs> that none of you have ever been to. And cannot go to because it doesn't exist for probably lots of good reasons. Hank, was your phrase of the week League of Legends? Yes, it was! Oh, I finally got one right. It feels oh, so good. I felt so seen in po- that moment. I was like, oh, John is, John, I feel very embarrassed. 
<laughs> I was hoping maybe you uh, would think it was Mario Kart. I don't know. I failed. That was good. It was good. Who who uh, donated to the P for A to get me to say to get you to say that? That was uh, suggested by Jake, who donated to the Project for Awesome. Thank you, Jake. And John, was your phrase of the week Don Henley or? The Eagles or Desperado or Riding Fences or something? No, it was Owl Attack. Oh, my God. From 45 seconds ago, <laughs> donated by Johannes. Thank you, Johannes, for my first ever Phrase of the Week win. Now I've learned that if I just wait till the last 45 seconds <laughs> of the pod, <laughs> I can win. Oh, my God. All right. Hank, John. it has been a pleasure to pod with Absolutely. you. We're off to go make our hit podcast This Week in Ryan's available at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn, the best podcast about people not named Ryan that you will ever listen to at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn. It's an extremely narrow best, but that's what it is. <laughs> and if you support us on Patreon, we very much appreciate that. That money goes to our educational channels that we do on YouTube, and it's very uh, nice for us to have that and uh and that support is so appreciated john this podcast is edited by nicholas jenkins it's produced by rosiana hals rojas and sheridan gibson our head of community and communications is victoria bongiorno the theme music you hear at the beginning and right now and during this week in ryan's is by the great gunnarola and as they say in our hometown don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome, awesome.